Welcome to Vantage Fishing Radio, where we discuss the hot bite and all things fishing. With your hosts, Dustin Clark and Lewis Chapman. Fish on! Well, welcome back to Vantage Fishing. Dustin and I are at Chatfield Reservoir on a Wednesday after work. You know, try to sneak in a little bit of fishing. And we were planning on doing uh, part of this episode, and we did a little bit of a business meeting, which was kind of cool to do a business meeting on the water while having a brew and doing some casting. But uh, we're getting run off by a, a giant thunder cell. You know, we've seen a couple lightning bolts and whatnot, so we've come over and uh, beached the boat, and we decided we're off with a uh, flock of geese in front of us, like 10 feet in front of us, looking at the boat on the beach at a picnic table by the South uh, Marina here at Chatfield. Yeah, you know, these uh, these thunderstorms are not uncommon in Colorado uh, this time of the year. You know, as you start getting into more and more summertime fishing, um, you know, it's good to keep an eye on the weather. But but more importantly, uh, what type of fish you're going after. You know, typically this time of the year, you're going to go high alpine for some trout. Uh, while uh, metro lake fishing is going to be more geared toward your bass, your walleye, uh, heck, even carp, if, uh, if that's your, your game. Yeah, and, and not to change the subject, I'm seeing multiple lightning bolts out to our west and some cloud-to-cloud cloud lightning. You might be hearing a little bit of thunder through the mic. Um, so if it gets any worse, start blowing in our way. We're going to shut down the computer, and we'll uh, have to take a small break and, and restart this episode up in the Jeep while this blows over, and then we'll get back out on the water. But uh, as Dustin was saying, you know, as we get into the dog days of summer, we're past Memorial Day. Oh, absolutely. The higher the elevation you go and the colder the water you find, the better the trout fishing is going to be. Yeah, and that's to say you couldn't go out to Chatfield and, and fish for trout. Uh, if you come out early in the morning when the temperatures are still cool, uh, the water's a little bit cooler from uh, overnight temperatures being a little bit cooler, uh, there's nothing to say you couldn't get into them here. But really, if I wanted to do some nice trout fishing, I'm going to go up to Dillon or I'm going to go high alpine, stuff like that, to yeah. really get the big ones. Yeah, and you know, and as we get into July and August, like June is really good at Dillon. Like, if you want to get a good trout bite, June and Dillon. And actually, that's where I'm going to be this weekend, uh, fishing with high, uh, uh, Alpine Fishing Adventures. Nice, nice. Guiding nice. a couple trips, and then there's a, an event up there I'll be working. Uh, June is great there. But as we get into dog days, you know, that high Alpine lakes and chasing brookies and cutties is definitely going to be the best trout bite. But, you know, at the same time, the bass and walleye should be pretty dang good here. So it's just the shake of the dice and what you feel like going after. Yeah, you know, just a yeah, word of, uh, of caution. Uh, as the as the runoff starts and uh, actually continues through uh, through May into June, uh, be careful for those fly fishermen out there because you know the water can get pretty high and, and pretty fast. Uh, I don't know about any current flows now. I'll have to go out and take a look at those and see what's happening. But uh, you know, wading into something where where typically you're you're calf deep, um, and now you're waist deep is is definitely a, a cautionary tale. Yeah. So, you know, it's been a few weeks since we did our last episode. Uh, what have you been up to, Dustin? Uh, you know what? I have been spending a ton of time on my personal pontoon boat. I, uh, I really appreciate this. I had one several years ago, and I got rid of it to, to really focus on, on fishing from a boat. And after I got rid of the boat, I went back to uh, pontoon fishing. And I, I'd have to say over the last three weeks, I'm probably close to uh, to landing about 75 fish. And we're talking multiple species between trout, bluegill, uh, the walleye bite that I've been recently getting on at a, at a couple of the lakes we'll talk about here uh, has been really surprising. Uh, how about you? You know, it's been a busy 
busy uh, break since our last episode, episode um, two. Uh, took a long haul with the boat with uh, some friends and the Patriot Anglers and my wife down to Navajo, and we'll get into more of that in this episode. All I got to say is Navajo Reservoir is epic. Uh, you know, I, I, it's got to be my favorite now. It, it's hard not to say after the you know two trips there, and it's been prolific fishing both times uh, over the last two years. So we'll get a little bit more into that. But uh, also, you know, my been working on that trolling motor with the 24-volt system, and while I was down at Navajo, I had a small glitch on the fourth day there, and been working to get that repaired and got it up in time for today's trip but uh I've, I've had this boat you know in my family and it was my dad's and when my dad passed i kept his boat and sold mine and i've been fishing out of it since 2011 but i'm starting to outgrow it a little bit and i'm starting to have to put a lot of elbow grease in it to keep her keep her going it's a 1994 sylvan uh uh v-hole you know 16 and a half foot but boy, she's caught a lot of fish. So it'll be a hard thing to do. And I've, I've, I've actually started uh, looking into shopping for new boats. So Very nice. that's kind of been my reality online in you know, the last well, few weeks. You talk about Navajo Reservoir and having an epic adventure down there. Um, I know recently you and I took a trip up to uh, up to Antero, uh for the first, I believe it was the first trip of the year on your boat. And had a phenomenal time. Yeah. It wasn't the normal numbers that you see from Antero, but but it was still a great trip. We'll get more into that as well. But uh, yeah, the boat's gone from one hot trip to the other. So absolutely. maybe we continue with the hot walleye bite tonight. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, maybe break a state record that I don't have to photograph for that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, as, you know, that's part of a, one of the segments here today. Uh, we're going to talk about the big trout bite uh, at Antero, you know, the hot bite that's going on there. Uh, the Navajo Reservoir trip that uh, Lewis recently went on. And then um, some bad records. Uh, produced uh, from local fishermen here in the state of Colorado. Uh, they don't even have to be local. I guess you could be out of state, purchase a license here, and still claim a claim some sort of record or state record and, and hold that. Um, but it's just, you know, so, some bad record keeping from the CPW. Yeah, there's definitely some, you know, most of the records, are I think, are pretty legitimate. But there's a few that stink to high hell, and we'll get into that and why those records are allowed and how they came to exist. And and we'll talk more on that uh, when we get to that segment. You know, I, I think I hooked into a 45-pound, uh, uh, six-foot uh, tree fish earlier. Can I submit that for a record? As long as you've got two witnesses, you don't need a photo. I guess I need to get one of these so, geese to be my witness. Yeah, I mean, you could probably submit a goose and get a record here real quick. Right, So, right. But uh, all joking aside, there are some issues with that. Uh, but for the most part, you know, I really do think most of the weight records with CPW are legitimate. And we'll get into those. But uh, for now, let's... You know, we went on the Santero trip a, a few weeks ago, so let's get into that on our next segment. Sounds good. Okay, so we were going to jump into segment one with Antero, and we will do that here in a second. But uh, we got the storm creeping on us. We just had a lightning flash with a 5-1,000 count. Uh, on the west side of the reservoir. I'm sitting here on a bench overlooking my boat beached with a bunch of geese in front of a sandy beach overlooking the south shore marina. We're kind of seeing what the storm's going to do. We'd like to get back out fishing here at Chatfield. Um, a couple other anglers beached their boat next to us and are talking about the storm and some walleye fishing and Dustin's down there talking to them and uh, they got a couple nice walleye Dustin's down there checking out. So we'll be back here just a second uh, with more talk about Antero Reservoir. And uh, it may be from the Jeep because this cell we were hoping was going to kind of miss us to the side is uh, it's hammering down. I'm sure you can hear the thunder through the 
the the mic. Um, definitely, you know, we've we've watched multiple people come out and launch. There's another lightning flash, and people are launching. It's just kind of crazy. It's like let's have some common sense here. Um, go look at some YouTube videos of what lightning strikes do to fishing poles and boats and fishermen. Um, and it can easily happen here. Colorado has a lot of fatalities due to lightning. And when you're out on that metal boat and you're not grounded and you've got these, uh, glass and rods and graphite and all this sticking up in there and your metal nets and, uh, yeah, there's, you're, you're a potential target. So don't risk it whatsoever i can't believe people are launching and i'm watching boats all over here from the south marina just still out there water skiing still out there jigging for walleye and it's crazy like you know here in a second we're probably gonna have to go take cover in the jeep from the storm and uh ride her out okay so we're back with our first segment still out here at chatfield overlooking the south marina with the beach the boat beach still watching the storm roll in on us so if we have to pause this segment and go to the jeep we will we got lightning uh looking like it's going to be in our future um absolutely but uh dustin take us into the antero fishing yeah so you know this year um i got the opportunity to, to fish antero from the boat i think this is my first time typically i'm uh i'm out ice fishing it uh or fishing from the shore which i've had some epic uh, epic adventures uh, at antero uh, fishing from the shore um, you know, fishing in tarot from a boat, uh, this one, this one was new on me. So uh, getting on the boat first thing in the morning, uh, what up, I think we ended up being there about eight 30, uh, a little chilly. Uh, we wanted to start, uh, heading off to the, uh, to the West side after launching the boat from the South side and, and really get into, uh, about six to four foot. Oh, there's some thunder right there. Six to four foot of water with, with a little bit of weeds. And, um, you know, I started the day off like I started the day off at uh, Spinney and 11 Mile. I uh, tied on a, a nice J-Spec Firecraw, tossed it out there, uh, got a first hit, and boom, line got cut. So there's, uh, you know, $6 uh, down the drain right there, <laughs> <laughs> which, you know, always makes me feel real good. Um, but, you know, I don't think there's a really bad way to fish Ontario from a boat. Uh, well, what do you think? No, no. I mean, you can approach it so many different ways. I mean, you can go out there and jig for fish if you have an idea where they're going to be. It's always a good idea to to start looking shallow and start searching the weeds and maybe casting stuff over the top like jerk baits and and uh, different presentations of that, you know, tube jigs and stuff like that, plastics. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, spoons, spinners, and, and there's nothing wrong with trolling. But uh, later in the year at Antero, the weed base does get a little bit more prolific here, you know, before Memorial Day when we went. The weeds weren't as bad as they can be. I mean, I've seen the weeds at Antero. That they're, they're just no joke. It's, oh, yeah. You feel like your engine's a, a weed whacker as you're going through <laughs> sometimes. But, um, you know, while the weeds are down, it's great to troll the lake, especially over by the deeper water by the dam and, and pick up fish that way. Yeah, so we started the day off on the west side, really uh, looking for – some of those uh, bigger trout and shallow waters that are feeding and you know to be honest with you with the with the water clarity we got to see a ton of big fish swim by it was ridiculous uh, yeah i don't think i've seen that many big fish swim by uh, in my entire life uh after after a couple of good bites a couple of nice decent trout um landed we decided to head back over to a little bit deeper water and, and get by get by the dam yeah. And this is where it exploded. Uh, the sonar was just showing fish everywhere. So we kind of went into more of a of a jigging uh, technique. Uh, we're going to call it float tube trolling and, and a little <laughs> bit of jigging, where we just let the wind 
push us around and, and kind of pop uh, these two-inch minnows or three-inch minnows off the bottom of the lake. Yeah, and, and they're not live minnows. We're not using live minnows at Antero. Yes, no live um, minnows. Although that would probably clean house, but very <laughs> illegal. Um, and so to explain the technique a little bit more, uh, basically I was using the Tarova on the, the front of my boat, the electric motor, and I, I dialed this into, you know, the, the lake was still at this point. It was just like glass. Oh, yeah. And there were a few fish breaking water on, on a small hatch. But when we got over towards the uh, structure on the uh, left-hand side of the dam, as you're facing the dam, you're in deeper water there. And then we're closer to 20, 25 feet, if I remember right, in some of those areas. And then other areas are 16 to 18. But we were finding fish that were uh, towards the bottom or just, you know, up a few feet from the bottom. So we started throwing down plastics, you know, on jig heads, twitch tail minnows, tube jigs, Absolutely. things like that. And that started producing results. And, and we were moving slow with the trolling motor, like a 0 0.3, 0 0.4, if I remember right, and covering a little bit of water. And we started picking up a, a little bit hotter bite than we had back in the shallows and the weeds. And uh, we did have fish back there in the weeds, but, man, we had to work for those bites, and they were few and far between. And the big fish, they just weren't playing. Yeah, no, at this point, I think we were probably about three hours into the day, and um, I was watching Lewis and our good friend Jason, uh, you know, hauling in, getting good bites. Uh, like I said, I, I lost the one bite. Uh, I want to say it wasn't too a bad knot. I want to say that the line got cut, which, uh, you know, could have been anything. Uh, maybe it was a tiger muskie or a tiger trout, something that, yeah. uh, that really slammed it. Um, so at this point, I hadn't caught a single fish all day. Well, the wind and the storms started rolling, and we could see everything building, kind of like what we're seeing here at Chatfield. And and we, we moved to the trolling methodology, right, where we're, yeah. where we're trolling up and down the dam, trying to figure out the, the good depth on the good bite. And and here's where the Z-Ray, the Castmaster, and the, the gray and silver J-Spec really started to shine. With Ooh. the chop of the water, uh, we could start seeing these fish being uh, aggressive toward anything that was kind of flashy. Um, so at this point, our, our buddy Jason, I think uh, – uh, as the day wore on, he ended up getting into double digits. Um, yeah, he cleaned house. He cleaned house big time. I'm, wow, that was a lot of lightning. Sorry to interrupt, but we just had downwards lightning, cloud to cloud. So uh, we might be interrupting this here soon. We'll try to go a little bit longer here. Uh, the wind forced our hands. And, you know, Antero, along with uh, Spinny and 11 Mile, they're all right in that line. And those afternoon storms come in. Um, sometimes they'll hit the lake. Sometimes they skirt it. But either way, they bring a lot of a lot of wind we were fortunate there was no lightning with those storms yeah absolutely so we didn't have to pull off the water if there's lightning like we're seeing here we're pulled off the water currently now during this uh radio show but that that it forced her hand we went from a, bot, a hot bite down in deeper water and having to jig for it you know moving very slowly at the electric to we lost control and the boat was moving too fast to to give an accurate presentation to the fish down there absolutely and so our, you know, we were still seeing a lot of fish on the graph, and we'd seen fish up and down the dam when we'd gone up it. So we decided to troll, and we still used the electric. That Tarova 80 80 uh, pound thrust had enough juice, even in white caps, to keep the boat going, and we were able to keep the boat, you know, in between 1.7 and two miles an hour. Ooh, some more lightning, um, and and because of that, even going into the to the waves and wind. We were able to continue to troll with the electric and not have to use a kicker, which was kind of cool. It was kind of nice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, I think the wind pushing back on the boat, even with uh, the speed set where it was, um, might have even presented a, what we were throwing a, a little bit slower than normal, which could have uh, 
helped our bite out a little bit. Uh, so our buddy Jason, I think at this point he was either 15 or 16 fish into both of us. I had finally landed two fish at this point. Um, I really was, uh, the goal was to, to kind of test out my new uh, Fish Eagle 54 and see what kind of uh, pressure I could put that under. And, um, and then it hit, man. It was, it was an epic, epic fish for me. Um, and Taro's never been one of those lakes that has really, really, really produced for me. You know, I, here and there I can get a nice fish, but, you know, I know plenty of other guys that, oh, yeah, I had a, you know, 25, 25-inch 25 fish, and, and I had an epic day every time I go out there. That's not the case for me at Spinney or 11 Mile. It's never been that. So when, when this rainbow trout <clears throat> hit, I thought my pole was going to snap. It was ridiculous. Uh, it took me a little while to get them in. Got them netted. Really nice. Um, ended up being about 21 and a half inches. And um, I, we're not even going to speculate on the weight. We'll just call them a football. Uh, it was extremely exhilarating for me. You know, yeah. it, was, it was one of those, it was like, hell yeah, it's about time. It was a thick, meaty fish oh, yeah. that had a lot of muscle for a lot of fight. And it was a good catch. It was definitely, um, he was definitely fighting in a heavier weight class than his length should have been. Oh, yes. I, I'll give you that. Oh, yeah. And so, and it was an awesome catch. You know, Jason had a couple nice ones too. I, you know, I just ended up pulling up, you know, your average holdovers over and over again. I didn't get the nice fish, but I still had a great time. And I'll tell you what, anytime anybody gets a uh, beast of a fish in the boat, whether I catch it or one of my friends or, you know, a uh, – participant or a customer catches it Absolutely. it just it gives me goosebumps it gives me that big fish high and you know when i get it it's even more so and there's nothing better than the big fish high just that little adrenaline dress adrenaline rush uh the excitement of it it's just awesome and it's and sometimes it's hard to even concentrate and get back into fishing after catching that because is yeah. that what you were kind of feeling yeah absolutely you know it was uh i i i think i i set my pole out and we continued to troll and at that point i was on this nice little euphoria and said you know what i don't have to catch a fish for the rest of the day but um but it was still nice to be able to say you know what we're, we're still in the same path so the nice part about what was happening here was after being shallow after being deep after trying trolling after trying jigging after doing casting um I, what, we were out on the water four or five hours we got into this really really nice groove where we found this great pattern and we just trolled up and down this pattern for the remaining, I think, hour and a half, two hours that we were out there. And it was just fish after fish after fish. It was constant, uh, especially for our, our buddy Jason. But but it took us all day to get there. It yeah. really did. Yeah, and Jason owes me some money on that guided trip he just got to. Just, just putting <laughs> that out there. So um, You know, uh, like I said, Ontario's never really been that lake for me. I've... Uh, I've caught some decent fish. I've done a lot of ice fishing there. It's never really been a, a you know, a Tommy Hicks 26 inch cut bow, or it's never been, you know, these monster fish. What was your most epic time in Antero? You know, I, there's a very special weekend that I spent up at South Park where I fished um, Antero one day and 11 mile two days, camped it up there with a, a buddy of mine, um, James Anderson, actually one of the co-founders of Patriot Anglers. And the most epic trip I had was with him. And it was back in the fall of 2012. It was September. I remember the Broncos were just starting. Peyton Manning was kind of the big deal in town. And we ended up going and, and watching Peyton play the Atlanta Falcons at that little bar at Hartzell, you know, taking oh, yeah. a break from the trip. But uh, during those trips, every afternoon, just like we were talking, we got storms in. And lots of wind and lots of craziness. 
And if there's lightning, it throws me off. But there was no lightning. And we got a rainstorm in, in Antero um, probably midday with a ton of wind. And it got crazy on there. And it usually chases a lot of boats off. But that's when the fishing gets really good up at those South Park lakes. Uh, if So if I can safely stay on the water, I will. And during one of these trips in a rainstorm, James Anderson and I were throwing HD trout and then also those rebel craws. And we were up in the shallows and the weeds. We were about probably six to eight feet of water. And I had drift socks out from the boat to slow us down. We're letting the wind slowly push us across the weed tops up there. Um, You know, and you could see down clearly in that water and see all the fish and everything, even with the waves. And it was one fish after another. And during this brief spout of rain over about a half hour period, I think we brought in a fish every single minute. At one point on an HD trout, I brought in two 18-inch brown trout, back-to-back casts. Never happened in my life before. Just simply amazing. And, you know, and that just, and the fishing was good all day, but that half hour was peak, you know, and that was one of those easy 50-plus fish day at Antero's with footballs up to, you know, 19 to 22 inches and things like that. Very nice. And it was just, it was crazy. And I remember that there was one fish that we hooked onto that, was an absolute beast and we were just using a drift and he actually started changing the bow of the boat the direction it was going in one of our drifts wow. he was that big of a beast and you know i wasn't as skilled as an angler then and i fought the fish as, as best i could and there's some lessons i learned on that one but long story short he bent out the hook on my hd trout and got away i never did see him wow. it was nuts but he Fought like the devil, and that's one of those fish I've always wished I could have seen and seen what it, how big he was. I always wonder, you know, was that a twenty-five plus inch rainbow or was that a giant brown? What was that, you know? And and that trip was actually the trip that led to the inspiration of starting the Patriot Angler. So it was a pretty epic trip in Antero. So you can count count that as the start of it. Oh, very nice, very nice. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I've had quite a few uh, good times up at the uh, the South Park area. Uh, you know, those those storms coming in. Do produce a lot of fish. I've always either fished off a very small boat or a flow tube, so I've always had to get off the water fairly quick. I'd say my most epic time at Antero, a buddy of mine hits me up after work. It's 5 o'clock in the afternoon and was living down in the springs at the time. Uh, hits me up and said, let's go to Antero. <clears throat> so, you know, that's that's an hour and a half drive for us. So by the time we get there, yeah, yeah, we're going to get a good couple of casts in and, and then have to leave. Oh, boy, am I glad I went. So... <clears throat> I know that Antero is is a lake known for its its big trout. Yeah. Um, I was standing on the sandbar that was next to the dam. And those of you who know who've fished this before in, in low water know exactly what I'm talking about. I was out on the little sandbar. I was casting with a brown trout cast master. And I was getting bumps left and right, bumps left and right, and then slam. I was like, oh, all right, this is awesome. This is awesome. Start reeling it in. I land this fish and I look at it. And this is a, this is before they had drained Antero, so I wasn't uh, as skilled uh, as I think that I am now. But um, I get this fish. I get them netted. <coughs> and yes, I do carry a net occasionally with me while I'm fishing off the shore, just just in case. Oh, it's a good way to keep a, a. It's a great way to keep fish alive if you plan on releasing. Absolutely. Versus dragging them in the mud to get them unhooked. Absolutely. Um, so I'm screaming and hooping and hollering. I thought I caught a lake trout. I was ecstatic, extremely ecstatic. Got a photo of it, everything. Lake trout, lake trout, lake trout. <laughs> oh boy, was I. Uh, Did you get called out on oh, Facebook? Oh yeah, I got called out everywhere. <laughs> uh, everybody told me that that was not a lake trout. Now, I'll be honest with you, I haven't lake trout fish. Uh, you know, it's not part of my wheelhouse, so I just kind of 
guess that it was. It happened to be one of the rare big splakes in yeah. Antero. So oh. for me, that was like, you know, that's a bucket list fish that most people don't get to catch, let alone one that was big. I couldn't tell you the exact size of it, but uh, it definitely yeah. gave my medium workout. So I tell you what, we're still doing all right with the storm. It looks like we might get missed. There's still some lightning here and there, but you know, we're talking about Antero and we try to keep these radio shows, you know, we're new to it. So we're still figuring out what works and whatnot, but we've been trying to keep them, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. But, uh, you just reminded me and I want to talk more about Antero and we still have other segments. So let's stretch it out just a little bit. Sounds see good how to it me. goes. I mean, we're talking fishing. We're having a good time. You, you're talking splake, right? Yeah. Big, big splake, you know, and I can't believe it didn't come to mind when you first said that. Oh yeah. He's talking about a splake, but he thinks it's a lake trout. Um, you know, I caught my first splake in Antero too. Oh, wow. And see? so, and it was actually on my very first ice fishing trip that I did at night. First oh. time I tried to night ice fish. Wow. And I went with Jason Reed. He owes me on this trip too. That's an extra 250, buddy. 250, Jason. If you're listening <laughs> to this, you, your tab is getting pretty high. And so I went out with him and, and, a, and another buddy and we went out and uh, set up the shelter. We got out early afternoon because you want to get out on the ice and set up before dark. And, and do some fishing and roll into dark. And then always take a good GPS with you when you night fish and trail on the ice. Uh, because when you pop out of that shelter, you don't know where you are and you're disoriented. And there's no lights. Zero. And if you got no stars. Oh, yeah. yeah. So bring a GPS uh, or some way to figure out how to get back to the parking lot if you decide not to leave in the light. Um, but to get back to the story, I bought these floating pretty much headlights that you would have to we drug a deep cycle battery out on one of the sleds, which was brutal. And we, and this is, we're all in the army. We're all like in shape, hua hua army dudes. Um, and so we drug this battery and like everything we owned ice fishing out. I mean, like these sleds were ridiculously heavy. No way do I do this anymore. Um, that heavy, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, and we haul out Antero, like we leave out of that, uh, that North ramp and we haul way out into the shallows and we drill tons and tons of holes until we find a good gap in the weeds. Cause that's what you're looking for is gap in the weed lines there. Ice fishing, you, you plop a hole and it's nothing but a huge pile of weeds right below you. Keep moving to the side. You know, I'll drill like 10 holes in a row, 10 feet apart to find that gap. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, now you got the, all the aqua views and stuff that help with that too. Um, seeing where those weed lines are. But to get to it, we put these floating lights on each side of the shelter on the outside of the shelter, and they float in 10-inch holes. And then we fished inside the shelter. We, the three of us had our holes. And when night fell and we, we clamped those lights onto the battery, it, it lit everything up crystal clear down to the bottom. It was like I was fishing in an aquarium. I felt like I was cheating. And all the scuds and even little minnows that you never see during the day and all this, all these crazy underwater creatures. It's like I had no idea how alive these weed beds are in Antero. And it was like like bugs coming to the bug light or the bug zapper in your backyard during right. the middle of summer, you know. And all of a sudden you start seeing streaks in the water. And it's these trout are just rushing through with their mouths open and they're just filling up with these creatures that are in there. And everyone, and we were fishing with small like one and a half inch tube jigs, Berkeley jigs, tube jigs and things like that. Um, and they would just slam those, you know, occasionally thinking that they're just another creature in the water. And it was great. And you know what? Once the sunset, we didn't catch a rainbow and we didn't catch any more cut bows. It was all browns and all splake. And I don't remember how many splake we caught, but I know that everybody in that tent got at least an 18 inch splake that night. Nice. And, uh, you know, that's a trip that I've always wanted to repeat, but I have not. Um, we ended that trip with a kind of a little bit of a, 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 a foul. Uh, one of the guys that was with us, um, ended up 
was we were collapsing the tent, stepping in one of the light holes. Oh. And, you know, Antero, middle of winter, no sunshine. You're talking way below zero. Absolutely. And he put his leg through. Fortunately, he didn't have any forward momentum and didn't break anything. He just put it straight through. Uh, but pulling it out, his leg froze to his knee instantly. Like his, his pants, his boots, everything just had a sheet of ice around it. Ooh. And, you know, so we're like, oh, crap. You know, we need to get back to the to the cars pretty quick. Um, but, again, trying to find cars at night was hard. So that took a little bit. But we eventually got there. And it turned out that actually having that ice sheet around his leg kind of kept him a little bit warmer, kept some of the body heat in. And, right. and fortunately, he didn't get frostbite or anything like that, but call it a lesson learned. And watch where you're stepping when you night fish at, at, at night for these holes. Uh, so it sounds like, you know, uh, my splake was caught, you know, at the twilight hour and they was coming up to feed. Uh, all the splake that you guys caught were, were at night. It seems like there might be a better splake bite at Antero, assuming that they're still in there, because it wasn't—I don't think it was ever fully drained while they did the dam. Yeah, work. you know, I, you know, and I asked that question when I did the uh, write-up on Antero. Um, you could look back in the blogs for that, um, and I didn't really get a whole lot back from CPW on whether there's a good still population of splake in there. I don't, I, I don't know if they've been in the gillnet surveys. I have to go back and look at that. But I'm assuming that they're probably still in there. I mean, if as long as there was enough water and it didn't winter kill, I, I'd have a hard time imagining that they're not in there. So it'd probably be a good good place to try to target at them. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. If you have a uh, of a bucket list of wanting to catch a splake and and you don't know where to go, uh, you can always uh, look at the uh, the bucket list fishing blog. But but you know, it's a it's a quick tip. But go out to uh, Antero. Yeah. Uh, whether you're camping in the area, uh, throw a uh, a nice. Uh, brown trout cast master and really what it is is it's a it's a gold cast master with with brown trout spots on it uh, i think i use the three quarter ounce uh, uh is typically what i use i think that's about the right size um and i was just throwing off the point there so there you go and you know before we wrap up this antero segment uh um we did learn this year that there are tiger trout in antero absolutely and there are tiger muskie in antero we know there, there's splake and I used to catch kokanee there in the past, and I imagine there's still a few kokanee in there. And, you know, we got cut bows, rainbows, and browns, you know, and there's suckers. So, I mean, Antero is actually a lot of different species in that lake if you get after it. Um, I don't know if anybody's actually caught any of these tiger muskie in there yet. They've only been in there for a few years. I know some people have caught some of the tiger trout through the ice. Um I didn't see any pictures of Splake from anybody at Antero this year. Uh, another, you know, little tidbit I'll drop. Um, if, uh, another good place to try for Splake, you know, especially from the float tube and the, the fly rod is Left Hand Canyon Reservoir. If you can float, it's a it's a larger lake as far as high up, so I don't feel like I'm abusing it by handing out that info. And there's a ton, a ton of Splake in there, um, so it's another good area if you are wanting to target Splake. But uh, yeah, I think uh, anything else you want to add to? Tantero before we go on to the next epic lake uh no i guess uh the only thing uh for for the Antero folks who want to target splake that are in there uh the big difference between the uh the lake trout and the splake is the is the forked tail they almost look identical otherwise the yeah i believe it is the lake trout that have the bigger forked tail where the splake have a have a flatter tail mm-hmm. um so if you think you got a lake trout and you want to post it on facebook because everybody loves the social media and you don't want to get called out Take a look at that tail. You know, in my experience, Splake have been a little bit lighter in color, at least the ones I've caught. You know, I've caught them in a few different areas, but I guess water, you know, what they're, the water temp, what they're eating, all that will kind of vary on that as well. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. We'll stay tuned for the next uh, segment. 
Uh, welcome back to Vantage Fishing Radio. Uh, the weather has turned on us a little bit, so we've had to move into uh, a Jeep. So two very big dudes trying to get some recording done in a very tiny, tiny space. Uh, we're we're going to talk about uh, the Memorial Day weekend fishing trip at Navajo Reservoir. Uh, from my understanding, this this trip is epic. Not only is it a trip, it's a it's a great thing that the Patriot Anglers do. Um, unfortunately, with the even with the second year of this coming around, I have not been able to make this trip, so I'm going to rely on my partner here to do most of the talking about how epic Navajo is. I do have to add one thing. Um, Navajo Reservoir is, is in New Mexico and in Colorado, so for those anglers who do want to fish it, they have buoys, from what I understand, set up to keep the Colorado side separated from the New Mexico side. So, so be wary that that if you go down there and you cross that, you're going to need a New Mexico fishing license to fish in the New Mexico portion. But other than that, how was yeah. the trip? Yeah, that being said, you know, on the regs, though, Colorado stickers on your boat is good registration for New Mexico on Navajo Lake. That's so awesome. So it's just a fishing license is the kind of the deal. Um, so oh, Navajo is amazing. It's an awesome, awesome, great trip. Just put out a new blog uh, this morning about the trip. So check that out on Vantage Fishing. Uh, dot com get get read up on there get excited about some small mouth fishing some some pike fishing but uh so the trip essentially is every two years in a row in may uh i've gone down with the patriot anglers to me it's the marquee trip of the patriot anglers it's where they put in a little bit more of their donated money to to providing one heck of an experience fishing experience for uh, some veterans and their guests or family and it, it, it's a big trip you know it's five and a half, six hour drive down there. It's a big commitment. And then we camp overnight. We got a group campsite that we get uh, just above the, the big marina by the Navajo Dam on the New Mexico side. And, you know, from there you can flip over to the San Juan River, which is world-class fly fishing. But Navajo, the lake itself, you know, the boating and, and the smallmouth and pike fishing, I think are world-class as well. So it's, uh, you know, what do you do? If you're the fly angler, you're in heaven. And if you're the boat angler, you're in heaven. And you know, myself, I've never touched the river because I love boating. I, I live and die by the boat and float tubes and stuff like that. You know, and other folks like Paul with the Patriot Anglers, he lives and dies by the fly. And, and it turns out to be an epic trip for everybody. And it's one of those things to where folks will rotate, you know, every day halfway through the trip or maybe do one day on the river and then one day on the lake. And they're getting the best of both worlds and, and just having the time of their lives. And this year was no different than the first. I truly believe the veterans that came and joined us on this trip really had a fishing trip of a lifetime i mean it was just just flat out epic and anybody that's not been to navajo you're missing out you need to go um i don't know how it is in the midsummer and that we're going to start getting into but i imagine it's pretty good in the fall and i know it's amazing in the spring um the small math small mouth uh spawn and that bite is epic in leading into memorial day weekend um and the San Juan River is a little bit better when it's higher, too, so early May. That's great. And so a little bit about the lake itself. So the Navajo Reservoir is a deep canyon lake that's got multiple arms. It's got three great big arms. One of them's a little bit smaller than the other one. Kind of got a little short arm going on. <laughs> um, but the other two are huge. And the middle one stretches all the way up into Colorado. And if I remember right, it's like 35 miles long. Wow. And I just put my boat on that lake. I rented a slip very cheaply at the Navajo Marina. 
and was able to recharge my boat every night. And I went through a full tank of gas while I was there and explored the southern half. And I feel like I'm barely just scratching it, you know, as far as knowing the fishing spots and, and things like that. There's so many coves. And, like, Pueblo's a little tease in kind of how Navajo is. Imagine, like, Pueblo on steroids or, like, times 50. You know, like, the big difference is it doesn't have the wiper and walleye that Pueblo have. But otherwise, Navajo is... It, it's just amazing. There's so many coves and so many areas to duck out on and and so many great fishing spots and so much structure. I've never seen a lake with so much structure. We're talking like fallen trees, shrubs out of the water, you know, trees from when they flooded the lake in the 60s, I believe, um, still up in some of these coves in the water. I mean, rock and boulders everywhere and the water level fluctuates. So uh, and in my mind, it's not a bad thing. You know, last year when I went to the lake, it was almost full. And this year it was 15 feet low. And it was like a whole nother lake. I got all brand new structure to go find different fish. And all the structure that I fished last year was up on land. So um, I went, we went down with as kind of an advanced party. Myself, my wife, and, and Jason, uh, great fishing buddy and volunteer of the Patriot Anglers. And we went down and kind of pre-fished it a little bit and tried to get to know the lake and, and what was biting and, and where. So that way we could pass on that information to the other volunteers and boat captains. Patriot anglers rented four fishing boats, nice. uh, pontoon boats. And we filled them up with veterans. And plus we filled up my boat and we got them out on the water over that Saturday and Sunday. And, you know, part of those boats and I'll have to give credit is to, uh, you went down and, and uh, uh, met him, but uh, Bob, Mr. Bob Kaiser, give you a shout out. You know, he made it possible for all those boats to be rented and those uh, those uh, veterans to really have the time of their life. So just want to give that quick shout out and all the shout outs to all the volunteers who put in all the hard work to make the trip happen. But let's get back uh, kind of to the fishing. So quick question for yeah. you. And, you know, uh, before we uh, before we took a break and had to move spots, you said that uh, Navajo Reservoir uh, was epic and, and that, uh, you know, it could beat out some of the, the fisheries here in Colorado. Well, so we're sitting at Chatfield State Park. Uh, watching this storm roll in, what makes Navajo that much better than Chatfield? Now I know you said there's no walleye in Navajo and there's no wiper in Navajo, but but really, what is what is it that you think that makes it such a great fishery? So first off, it's an adventure. It's something far away. It's almost like a vacation. It's definitely a weekend trip. So in that part, it's special right there. Um, you're going to do something bigger than you normally do on your trips. And then when you get there, and Every time I fished it, every single day and every single hour I've fished that lake, the bite has just been on. I have not really experienced a dead time in the lake. Okay. I mean, that is special in itself. I mean, even like it's spinning at its hottest moments or you got your favorite bass pond, you know, it's going to have a lull in the fishing. You can go at 1 p.m. in the afternoon and I guarantee you're going to find a cove you can catch a fish in at Navajo and not have to work too hard for it. And just to give you an idea of it, you know, so... There's two different things that happened during this trip that have never really happened to me on my boat anywhere in Colorado, but there on the New Mexico side of Navajo, these things happen. First, on our second day of fishing, we found this nice little cove of a mud bowl, a lot different structure than the steep rocky cliffs we'd been fishing the first few day or the first day for the smallies. And we were trying to pin down where we might find some pike and some other fish, maybe some largemouth. And, uh, we get in this cove and we're fishing this weedy bowl and there's still a couple big boulders in this bowl. So there's tons of structure in this bowl. And so we get in there and like, bam, 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 
all three people in the boat, my wife, myself, and Jason all have a fish on. And we all reel them in at the same time. I've never brought a triple into the boat. Oh, very nice. I imagine some people have done that here and there in Colorado, but that's it, it, it was crazy. And you know what? It was three different species. Wow. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, that's just crazy. And then on the third day, uh, my wife and I, we took on a, a Vietnam veteran onto the boat, and he'd done some fishing and he was a little bit experienced, but he'd never caught a smallmouth bass, never caught a bat, uh, northern pike, he'd never caught a crappie. And we were able to check off all those boxes super easy. Like I wasn't even concerned. Not at one point was I nervous that this guy wasn't going to catch and like scratch all these fish off his list. And we went into another cove, um, a little bit down on the, on the middle arm from the, the cove I was just talking about. And we roll in there with the electric motor on and we're, we're kind of putting around and we're just casting. We're throwing plastics, you know, minnows and, and tubes to the sides and around the weeds and the structure and the, the boulders and, and reeling them back in. And two casts in a row, this happened to this Vietnam veteran. He was using a twitch tail minnow, which you guys hear me talking about all the time. And he had a smallmouth bass that he didn't see that trailed him back to the boat. And he lifted his lure out of the water. And the bass jumped out of the water and still tried to get it next to the boat. Wow. That doesn't happen that often. You no. get a lot of trailers. And sometimes they'll hit it right at the boat. Um, but usually they get a little spooked by the boat and they go. He casts again, brings it back in. A bigger smallmouth comes in. And this line literally is probably four or five inches above the water. His lure is now. He's getting ready to set up for his next cast. This small, he comes out of the water and takes his lure, drops back in, and the fight is on. And like, fortunately, he had his drag set tight, so he just wasn't hanging a fish and watching it snap off. And I think he was using about eight pound test on one of my rods. And so, oh, getting a little rain blowing in here. I'm gonna roll up a window for just a second here. Um, and so. Then this fish just grabs his lure and just plunges back in the water and the fight's on. And I'm like, I couldn't believe this. Two casts in a row, two fish came out of the water at the boat to grab a lure that was hanging in the air. It just doesn't happen. Well, not very often, at least. Um, so, you know, sorry about that. We're in uh, fixing the Jeep. We're starting to get rain from the storm we've taken shelter in. And so the radio turned on for just a second and, and whatnot. But anyway... I mean, it, it was just amazing. Like, I had not experienced that boating in my lifetime. I, I, some people probably have out there. And to have a triple one day and the next day have two fish literally leave the water at the side of the boat. They were so hot and heavy on that bite. Those fish were so competitive. Uh, the first day in the evening when we put out and we got the boat over, we worked the dam. We picked up a couple smallies, like, really quickly. We were getting tons of chasers. Uh, you know, Jason was using a small jerk bait, you know, I think it was an HD. Um, I was using twitch tails. My wife was, she loves tube jigs and we're all using these different things and we're just pulling in fish. We're just pulling in fish. We were, we were on the water for two hours that evening and we had over 30 fish in and it was nuts at how quickly it is. And we got over and off to the dam and we started working a, a steep incline and, and, and keep in mind, like this lake is crazy deep and big. And so we're fishing right next to shore and you just back off a little bit and your sonar is going from six, seven feet on the incline and all of a sudden you're in hundreds of feet. And we found a spot not too far from shore that was 318 feet deep. Wow. Just incredibly deep in those, those cliffs and the amount of structure that goes straight down with them and the fish just hang on it. And there's a lot of shrubs and these like desert like trees that grow right out of the cliffs. And sometimes they're underwater and sometimes they're not depending on the water level. And some of them were underwater barely when we were there. And we come across this tree in, in a bend in kind of the shoreline. 
and it lines Jason and I up on the same side of the boat to where he can cast in front of the tree and I can cast in between the tree and the shore. And we both put our, our lures there and started working them back. And a school of fish came out after mine. It was probably 10 smallmouth bass, at least, started following my twitch tail to the boat. And then they seen Jason's and like half the school switched off. And you could see it all happen because the water at Navajo is clear. Uh, I mean, a pair of uh, polarized glasses at Navajo is a must. Um, and they started chasing his lure and, and mine. And all of a sudden we both had fish on from the same school from the tree. And it's just like everywhere we went, it was just like things like this happened. Now, there's a lot of small smallies there. So um, it took us a little bit to figure out how and where the big ones were. And we did. And so the second day we spent a lot of the, the morning, you know, working different areas of structure and figuring it out. And we finally figured it out, you know, if we find some of the shallower coves with some weeds and you still have some drop offs nearby and some big boulders nearby, you're going to find bigger fish and more species. And once we figured out that trend, we use that every single day to our advantage. And we picked up fish after fish. We were picking up, you know, smallies 15 inches regularly. We were picking up bluegills big as your hand. We were picking up 12, 13 inch crappie pretty regularly. And then we started getting into the pike and, you know, everybody. And, you know, this is like, cause Jason hasn't paid his bill. Everybody, but Jason, got a pike that fished in the boat that weekend all the different veterans and uh, myself and my wife we all picked up a bunch of pike and you know they were all over 20 inches and it was really nice and so it was great to be able to take folks down and not only for me to fish and learn a new lake is which is awesome and it's really fun but to be able to you know put folks on fish and on bite like that and make them feel like they're like the best fishermen ever <laughs> it's just amazing you have goosebumps you know i we had an active duty army couple on the boat, you know, a soldier and his wife. And they were fishing with me and my wife and we were showing them around the lake, showed them the bald eagles and got them into all sorts of fish. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, we got them both into two really big, you know, nice pike and they caught them individually. You know, each one got one and, and they helped each other out getting them in and stuff like that. And, uh, and on the, the, the soldiers one, we actually had to use the boat motor a little bit to chase the pike because we were on a little bit lighter line that it hit on. And he pulled in a 26 inch bike that just kept wanting to dive and dive and dive. And it was just so much fun. Like, like there's not a bad day on that lake, you know, and there's a lot of lakes like that here in Colorado. Like Spinney's always a great day. Even if you're having a slow day on Spinney, it's still a great day on Spinney. But Navajo is just special. And, you know, you get to the marina and the marina is just special too. The slips, you can get slips for your boats, bring your boats down. They're covered. They got power. They're like for an 18 foot or less boat, it's like 20 bucks a night. You can't beat that. No. You know, and that way you don't have to keep pulling your boat out of the water. You can rent a houseboat room and just stay right there on the docks. You don't even have to leave the docks, but there's plenty of camping and lodging nearby. There's cabins. The marina has its own store, and it's a big store and bait shop, and it's got a cafe. It's got a restaurant. There's a boat rental building. All this is on the marina itself, and there's like a fishing spot right in the marina. Like they've got a designated like crappie hole, like in the middle of the docks and they light it up with led lights at night. And they got all these benches and railings around it. And all these people with their kids are sitting there just catching crappie after crappie. I walked by this guy, he had a Homer bucket, Home Depot Homer bucket with slabs of crappie bigger than my hand, just piled all the way up into the bucket. Like part of me is like, are you really going to eat all those crappie? But they're just sitting there using, you know, minnows on a vertical presentation and they're just cleaning house there. And you can fish from your boats on the slips but you can't fish from the slips themselves if as long as you know unless you're in that designated area but that designated area is great there's carp everywhere there's bass everywhere 
and it's just just a lot of fun and in early may that it's not too hot and it's not cold at night so it's just perfect for camping and i think part of what makes the spe- trip really special too is don't get me wrong i would go down just by myself i love the fishing and i love that lake so much and i'm considering even trying on a houseboat there now <laughs> But being able to go with a group like the Patriot Anglers and being able to go with a bunch of veterans and their family members and do as a team and run the barbecues and just do all that, it, it's just an amazing experience. It's just it's just a lot of fun. And it's the, by far the, the fishing trip I look forward to the most every year. And, and I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can to make that trip better for the Patriot Anglers every year from here on out, too. So I will always be on that one. Well, it definitely sounds like uh, one of those epic adventures that uh... – <clears throat> Maybe even uh, Vantage Fishing is going to have to have to take and and see if we can't even get some of uh, of our our Facebook followers to to come on down or or at least uh, tell us about their experiences if they end up going. So that yeah, sounds like a, a very epic trip and and to me the way you described the the, the layout of the lake, it seems like those those sh- shallows and those coves are so heavily populated with fish. Because of the steep drop-offs, you know, they're not going to go down to 318, 200 feet. No. They want to stay near where food is and everything else like that. So I can yeah. see how it's it's different than than a lot of the lakes we have and, here. You know, we, we didn't even talk about the brown trout fishing. It's got epic brown trout. Like, if you like big browns, like giant browns, fat, huge, like 23, 24-inch plus browns, they're fairly common down there Wow, in the lake. And, uh, and I marked them all over the place along the shorelines in deeper water. I just never targeted them. I was so hot and heavy on the uh, pike and smallie bite. But the, the year previous, we caught a lot of them. And people were catching them from the dam. And we were there a couple weeks before Memorial Day on the previous year. Uh, one of one of our volunteers actually did pull up a brown from one of the pontoon boats in one of those coves. And it was a master angler. And it was the only brown trout we caught that weekend. But we didn't really chase them. And so there, there's just a lot of opportunity. And I've heard that the largemouth can get pretty prolific in that lake as well. I mean, so remember on the Colorado side of Navajo, that's where the state record northern pike is from. Wow. So it's just something to kind of be aware of. That it, You know, you're going to catch a lot of fish, but there's also a really good chance that you you might get a monster when you're down there. And so then the lake's so big and there's so many fishing spots and like I only seen one guide service the whole time I was down there working the lake. So it's, I mean, there was more ski boats than there was fishing boats, which was insane in my mind because how good the fishing is. Huh. So, I mean, if you have the means to get a boat down there and fish it or even camp from shore and fish it, I mean, every one of these fish that, that we caught in my boat could have been caught from a shore angler. So it's just a matter of putting in the walking time. So um, before people, you know, start heading down there because of this epic trip, trip that you had, uh, any anything special they should take note of as far as regulations outside of what we've already mentioned with, with the uh, with the licensing if you're from Colorado, anything that they should be aware of. Yeah, so the big thing is, um, you know, if you fish the San Juan River, you need to have the habitat stamp. But I believe with the reservoir, you don't have to have the New Mexico habitat stamp. Um, if you stay on the Colorado side, all you need is your Colorado license and and boat tags. Colorado boat tags are great on the New Mexico side, but you do need to get a New Mexico license and like a five day one is 24 bucks. Okay. So, uh, other than that, no, I mean, the camping permit is permits are dirt cheap at the lake on the New Mexico side. The slips are dirt cheap. I mean, it, it's just awesome. The campsites have all the amenities you can, you can imagine. They all have running water and electricity if you want to haul down the RV. So it's just one of those trips that 
you know, I recommend anglers at least try once and don't do it in the dead of summer because it's in the desert. I haven't been there then yet, so I'm not going to vouch for it. If you go in the mid July and you burn up, that's that's on you. But I know spring fishing, especially leading into Memorial Day weekend and through May, and I'm willing to bet the fall fishing is just as good. Maybe Dustin and I need to go down there for the fall. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely one of those trips. So uh, we're looking forward to it. It sounds like uh, uh, Navajo Reservoir is is great fishing on a budget. Sounds like it to me. Yeah, it's, you know, let's just call it the Cheap Lake Pal. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Welcome back to our uh, third segment of episode three of Vantage Fishing Radio uh, with Lewis and Dustin. And we're going to get into a little bit more of a I don't know if it's controversial because I think a lot of anglers think it's kind of BS. I haven't run into any anglers that really agree with the way that, that things are kept. But we wanted to, to talk about uh, state records when it comes to CPW and how they track them and manage them. And for the most part, there's a lot of good and legitimate records and some fish to be very proud of. But there's a handful of records that just make you scratch your head and just don't make too much sense and we want to get into it and how that those might actually count and why cpw counts them um maybe uh talk a little bit back and forth on our our feelings on that um so but first off when it comes to records records are bragging rights with fishing and you know as anglers what's the i mean there's those rulers fake rulers out there to give you fake rule sizes so you can best your friends you know you can make big fish look like little or little fish look like big fish you know you got the stiff arm to make fish bigger it's just in our nature to brag right when it comes to fishermen some of us are worse than others and some of it can get pretty competitive but the ultimate in bragging rights is a state record i mean if you get a state record by weight you know that's a kill record but you've got that top fish for that species in the state in my mind like if you have the state record walleye in colorado that's a pretty dang big deal and that's great bragging rights. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, and it goes for any fish. I mean, state record bass, trout, any of it. And that's a big deal. And that's quite the accomplishment because they're not easy to come by. And there's only a handful of them that are broke every year. Maybe two or three at the most are broke every year. Some years there's none broke. So to break a state record and to own one is a huge deal. And the fact that there's some of these state records that are in question Bugs me. So I wrote a blog on it, and you can find that blog at vantagefishing.com. Bad records. It's right there. You can find it on our Facebook page, too, and dig all into it, and I go in-depth in, into the subject. Um, be great to know everybody's thoughts on this as well. So hit us up on Vantage Fishing, comments under the blog and everything like that. Um, but, Dustin, do you want to go into how the uh, weight records for state records work? Yeah, yeah. You know, like Lewis said, uh, <clears throat> this is all about bragging rights. You know, there's nothing better than having, uh, besides the picture, the the ability to say yes i own that state record so with the with the weight records for the state of colorado you have to keep the fish now i know that's controversial in a lot of different circles and depending on what you're trying to get into uh you know if you're keeping the state record pike yeah you might get a mutiny on your hand don't publicly put your address out there or a state record bass but um you know when you're talking about weight it is Pulling in a fish that has now broken the state record and you have to kill it. Well, in order to, to get the state record, you have to have the application filled out by a CPW ranger. 
at a certified scale. And there's several around the state. I think there are some at CPW offices, some at uh, certain King Supers or, or what have you. You kind of got to do your, your research on, on where those are at. Because, you know, every time I go out, I'm looking for a big fish itself. So um, keeping it, you know, at what point do you, you keep a state record to say that you have it? Or you take a fit, or you take a picture and release it. These, you know, these are all personal decisions. But at the same time, keeping a state record and, and having it certified by the CPW and, and having it weighed uh, is phenomenal. I, I think yeah. uh, I recently saw back in uh, back in Kentucky, uh, somebody pulled in a uh, was it a crappie or a bluegill that was a world record? Yeah, it was a world record. Oh, there was crappie. Yeah, yeah, world record crappie. And I know the the guy took a lot of heat for keeping it, but at the same time, I would love to have not only a state record but a world record fish. Yeah, uh, come on, that's pretty big time. You know, and part of the reason that they they are kill when it comes to the weight record is the fish needs to be inspected. You know, for legitimacy, let's it goes off a of weight, so the ranger's going to make sure it's not stuffed full of lead and things like that and they're going to inspect the fish to make sure it's actually the species that you're claiming it is you know when it comes to some trout and things like that sometimes a cut bow and a rainbow can look pretty dang close and so oh, that's why the, why it's a kill because that's some some of this stuff is hard to tell um from a photo and it, it's hard to tell if people are being truthful um and there are people out there that are not truthful with some of this stuff people are cheating in tournaments all the time so it wouldn't surprise me if people cheat with records too where they can um, I don't think a whole lot of people are doing it, but I do think some are. And I think for the most part, anglers are pretty respectful of the records and and, and really do cherish them and, and love to be record holders themselves. And so let's there's another state record category too, and that's the released category. And the release category is basically catch and release. You know, you take a photo of that fish, hopefully, maybe. You don't have to, and we'll get into that in a second, and, and you submit it uh, via the Master Angler Program into cpw and cpw um whether it's annually or, or however often they do it they go through and they comb through these master angler records and any records in length that were bigger than the previous record in that species category is the new state record in length and that's how they do it so it's not like you're actually submitting it for a state record you're actually submitting it for a master angler and it has to go through the long process and might take a while and eventually if your fish is longer than everybody else's and in the released category of master angler there's a kept category too, but we're not going to talk about that one on this episode. Um, that's how you get the length record. Now, <clears throat> there is faults with both of these. The records, the 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 web, the weight, which is the kept, and the length, which is the released. And let's go into the release category real quick. I don't mean to interrupt yeah, you, but no, uh, for no. those listeners out there, uh, if you hear in raindrops, uh, <clears throat> that storm has finally got on top of us, and. Uh, the rain's coming down pretty hard, so we uh, we apologize for any interference or or extra sounds you might be hearing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's the storm is just like hovering over us because we're trying to do a radio episode. We're trying to go fishing. We're trying to do all this great stuff outside, and of course, it's raining. Yes, but uh, yeah, getting back to it. So there's a few b big things with the the released one that is kind of like they're head scratchers and why they are. So here's the deal. You don't have to have a photo of your fish to submit for a released record for that master angler. <clears throat> you you can submit an application, and I don't. I've not done it over the online application. You can do that now through the CPW application. So I'm not going to talk towards that because I don't know about it. 
But as far as the old-fashioned mail-in records for the Master Angler Awards and release category, you don't need a photo. You don't need a measurement in the photo. Technically, all you need is two witnesses that are willing to sign or you faking the funk on two witnesses willing to sign. Um, and bam, you've got a master angler of any species at any lake you choose. I guess you, I'm getting you, some state records this week. You can make it up as you go. Like I'm saying, I, I saw a big fat Canadian honker back there that I might submit for a walleye. So just to kind of give you an idea of how crazy illegitimate it is. So now, granted, I don't take, take these length or released master angler state records as seriously as I do the weight records when it comes to um, state records. The weight records are by far the bigger deal in my mind. They're harder to fake the funk on, but you can't. And I'll get into that. But so it's just a big, big thing here. So uh, when it comes to that, so anybody can can make up anything and submit it and get a record. I mean, how do you feel about that? Does that kind of rub you the wrong way? No, you know what? A little bit it does. Uh, <coughs> there's going to be dishonest people out there and, and somebody who wants a state record uh, for something that is released. Sure, they're going to get it. You know, I, I've been angling for as long as I can remember. And never even come close to a state record. But then to see people get them broke or, oh, I've got a new one this year and a new one last year, yeah, it is a little bit irritating. Yeah. And, you know, and we're, we're definitely we, – I dug into this for the, the blog, and I dug into every single individual record for both weight and length to kind of assess whether, you know, I thought that they were legitimate records or not. And it, obviously that's my opinion on that. But, you know, we're, we're talking about these facts on how you can record and, and submit a record – you know, you can go to my blog under this bad records and click the link and go right to the brochure that tells you how to submit this. So you're going to see the same information. So it's just flat ridiculous. Um, and so let's get into the next piece of this. So um, when it comes to both of these records, what can make them in my mind illegitimate is they don't have to be from public waters. You could submit a uh, weight record and a length state record from private waters. Now, this one rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, I think that if you are a paying angler, because that's the difference <clears throat> between private and public water, I don't have to have a fishing license to go fish at a um, <clears throat> at a private lake that's been stocked with nothing but state records. Where your average angler who wants to just buy a two day or, or a year long fishing license can go out to any lake and you know, <clears throat> let's say they do catch a a record for the state just to have it broke by somebody who, who didn't even really purchase anything. You know, I mean, uh, every, every, every lake's going to be different. You might have to purchase to get into the private lake, but these are state records funded by the CPW that are, you know, letting other people break their records. You know, it's kind of like yeah. having somebody come into your house and use your kitchen and, and creating the greatest food in the world and you passing it off as your own. Yeah. So like, let's put it this way. We're in this huge budget crunch and everybody's worried about licenses getting jacked up and we're still not anywhere near resolving that. And we're not going down that rabbit hole right here, but just as an example, CPW is in a crunch. The bulk of the CPW's budget is paid for, you know, by fishing and hunting licenses. And so the fact that you don't need a fishing license for a record that CPW will track for you and they get zero money out of it, (coughs) excuse me, um, Got the, the leftovers of a cold, so sorry about the itch in my throat. It, it just rubs me really, really the wrong way. It's like, why are we tracking lakes that that don't count, that, that you don't manage, that you don't manage the fisheries on? And 
and not everybody can have a fair shot. So when it comes to private waters, a lot of these are clubs or private memberships that you have. Some of them are just like farm lakes where it's like the family farm pond. Um, there, I mean, there's so many different types of private waters. And when it comes to private waters, you can have those stocked by private fisheries and pay to stock them with whatever species fish you want. And, uh, and, I, and I'm not picking on private waters. I have had the opportunity to fish private waters a few times and it's been awesome, fun, great experiences. And I have actually caught some pretty dang big fish. Like I caught in Master Angler largemouth bass in private waters. And I did not submit them to uh, the Master Angler program because it just felt dirty. Like it's like I felt like I was catching and not fishing. And like it was too easy. I didn't work for it. And not everybody has access to it. So in my mind, it just it didn't make sense. And, you know, it's there. you can grow a fish. You can have a fish put into your private backyard pond and feed it trout pellets all day long and grow it nice and big and protect it from the eagles and eventually catch it and submit it for a award. I mean, really? And we're going to count that? Really? Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't seem right or it doesn't sit well uh, with me. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it's a, a separate category that the CPW can come up with, but when you're talking a state record from state water, it should be exactly that. A yeah. state record from state water. So a, a few years ago, as an example, the bluegill record was broken. And it's in the blog with the exact uh, date and all that. And it was down in Pueblo at the Excel Power Plant, the Comanche plant down there. And they have a pond or reservoir. It's a reservoir that uh, they use for the plant to help cool things down and whatever they need water for and generating electricity. And so they have a pond already in a warmer water area in Colorado that isn't really allowed to be fished. And I called down there and I talked to them about their pond. It's open to only employees and their family. They, they're only people who can fish it. And so the whole public doesn't have access to it. And this pond does stay warmer than normal ponds do because it is used to cool down things. And so the water temperature is going to be higher even in the winter than most other ponds on the front range. And so it allows for more growth in these fish year round. You know, imagine, I mean, pretty much think Alabama, a bass or a bluegill can grow all year round because it's so warm. Where Colorado, our colder weather, you know, it makes it harder on the fish during the winter and, and cooler water months for them to feed and, and continue growth. I'm not going to say that they don't grow in the winter, but it definitely slows down. <clears throat> and so this, this lake down there in Pueblo's reservoir for the power plant produces big bluegill that only employees... So if I get a job down there, I guess I can count it as a record. And then the bluegill record was broken by an employee at that power plant. And not all of us can fish down there. So unless you're an employee. So how is that that really fair that CPW counts as a record? It's not a CPW managed water. It's not a federally managed water. You know, it, it's it's a power plant. It's private. And it, the, that state record is ridiculous. That state record should be revoked. We should go back to the old bluegill. Any private water record, in my opinion, needs to be thrown out the door and let's redo those. Or like Dustin said, let's have a private category and, and list them there. Because there's a lot of privates and heck, that'd be a good thing. Who can grow the biggest bluegill? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> With that, if that's your contest. Um, but you know what? We should all be able to fish at that same water. Those fish should come from public waters, in my opinion. So... Um, and, and that's basically what that, that blog gets to in, into the short of it. And there's some other ones, uh, you know, 
the and I'll give this as my last example and I'll get off the high horse. And, and I do plan on following up with the CW, CPW and see what can be done about this and, and what anglers I have talked to so far about this are kind of on board with what we're saying. So if you have a different opinion, love to hear it. But to get to the last example, um, there is some private waters at, at Mount Massive. It's, it's a Mount Massive. It's a fishing club. And that is where the state record uh, catch and release, so the released record, Arctic char was caught. The weight record was just broken by uh, a customer of Randy Ford's with Alpine Fishing Adventures on Dillon this last fall. And, you know, I've always been an assumption that Arctic char were only, you know, in a, in Lake Dillon and maybe a lake in Maine in the lower 48. Otherwise, you got to go to Alaska or like Iceland to catch them or something like that. So, you know, when I was cruising down the list and I seen Arctic char at 26 inches, but the, I know for a fact that the fish that Randy's customer caught was 23 inches. I'm like, that's a bunch of B, you know what, because it was caught in private water. The char shouldn't even, you know, somebody had paid for him to be there. Not that the CPW didn't pay for him to be at Dillon, but I think you get what I mean. It's like they, they put the, the, the char in there and they caught it and they posted it for a record. Not everybody has access again. And you have to pay for expensive membership or something like that if you do want access. And it's just it's just not right. I think the, the real precedence that, that I think Lewis is trying to get at here is <clears throat> if every single state record for Colorado is broken on private waters. I'll lose my mind. That, I'll lose it. That nobody else has access to unless you want to spend $500 for a membership. Then there is no way for the average angler to go out to any state-owned water. And try to break that record. The best you could possibly do is get a master angler. And at that point, I think you're you're, you're kind of killing some of the future fishing for the state because you might have a little kid who wants to grow up and say, "Oh, I would love to break the bluegill record for Colorado." You know, personally, I would I would love to break every record, but I'm just you know not that good. You're you're gonna kill the uh, potentially kill the future of state records for Colorado. Yeah, fortunately, the vast majority of the weight records are legitimate records that I have no beef with. It really is only a handful one. When it comes to the released records, oh, just dig. You'll see some ridiculous records in there. There is a almost world record walleye, world record breaking walleye that was submitted in the release uh, from a private lake. And some of these, some of the private lakes don't even name the lake. They're just like private lake Weld County, private lake Larimer County, Farmers Pond whatever county in like southern colorado and it's just like wow you won't even say what the lake was that you caught it on it's like come on so um yeah it, we're gonna dig into this a little bit more you know we just want folks to know hey th there's some fishy records get it fishy records uh, yeah do. that was yep. dumb you know we're stuck in a jeep together when we need to be out fishing in the storm <laughs> so now there was one other thing that you said real quick before we wrap everything up you said there was a way that you, or at least that, that you had seen, that somebody could skate around the kept state record. Were you able to find that data? Like, you know. Yeah, uh, it's, the, it's the private stuff. It is the private stuff. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so the, I thought you meant like the, cheating or, or somebody yeah. shoving weights down it. So it's it's really, it's the private waters that is killing the state records for yeah, some of these categories. You know, and if you give private waters its own record or don't count it for the state WEP or state weight which is the kept record, those are going to be great. Those those are going to be awesome records that are going to be highly respected, and most of them are. There's there's only like 
three or four of them, I think, that really had issues. And actually, if I remember right, most of them were panfish okay. <laughs> uh, off of private waters. Um, but when it comes to the length records, oh, my goodness, it's a mess. Oh, it, yeah. it's, it's a flat mess. And you know what? Here's the thing is, you know, Dustin and I just need to, you know, go buy our little piece of cheap property in eastern Colorado, fill it full of water, you know, throw a couple honking bass in there, and let's feed them some stalker trout for about seven, eight years, fatten them up, catch them. Wait, wait, we don't even have to do that because guess what? We don't have to have a picture. Yep. yep and we can submit it for the length state record. And you know what? I don't even need Dustin's help. I could just make up a couple signatures and I'll leave it at that, you know, because I can go on ram ranting about this subject for a while. Um, check out the blog. Check out all of our blogs. A lot of great writing. We're digging into a lot of stuff. You know, we're hammering on CPW on this one a little bit. And but there's a lot of great things that CPW does, too. So by no means are we hating on them completely. It's just we think that these uh, records could be cleaned up a bit. And, uh, you know, there are some awesome places to fish like Chatfield, and that's credit to CPW. So I'll give them, give them credit where credit's due. But uh, this area just needs to be cleaned up a little bit. So, but, uh, so I think that'll wrap up this episode, our third episode of Vantage Fishing Radio. How, how do you feel about it, Dustin? Oh, you know, I feel pretty good. And, uh, and for those listeners out there that, uh, that have enjoyed it, uh, found value in the blog, uh, you know, like, share, um, let your friends know about it and hit us up. Send us an email. If you find something uh, in the state records or if you have a trick or a technique, uh, you know, uh, that, uh, that could help other fishermen with, uh, with Antero, uh, or even if you've been down to Navajo, go ahead and, uh, you know, hit us up. We'd love to either speak with you or, or, or do other things as far as uh, putting it into a blog. But by all means, uh, feel free to, to contact us. And uh, that's uh, VantageFishing.com. I'm Dustin. This is my partner, Lewis. Yeah, let me get one quick word in before you sign us yeah. out. Um, you know, and just, and I'm not sure if we said it earlier, but, uh, you know, if you're interested in contributing to, to Vantage, you know, hit us up. You know, if you want to do some writing or if you're awesome at making some videos and you want to uh, put your stuff out there for everybody to see, uh, let's talk. So we want to continue to share and tell the story of Colorado fishing. Yeah, you know, uh, as much as I love fishing, uh, uh, it doesn't sustain my uh, my normal life. So uh, having extra people coming along uh, that can even share their experiences with us, with everybody else, uh, I will say one other caveat to that. Uh, we'll never blow up a specific GPS location. We'll, we'll, by all means, give you what we're doing, how we're doing it, what lake we're doing it at, unless it can't sustain the pressure. So don't feel uh, like uh, we're just going to blow up spots all over the state. Thanks for tuning in, guys. See you next episode.